Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just the duo of feathery brethren, weathering any season to see the Eagles eating teams like Scrammy's top with cheese. It's Philadelphia. Both when Zach kicking it cooler than two. Until Zach runs off with his valet keys. He's a real nuanced goose. Pull up a branch, get loose. It's time for some juice on some Birds with Friends. The early bird gets the worm, but prefers getting turned like a turn on some Birds with Friends. We are going to rip out the hearts of other podcasts. We are going to bite off their eyeballs. We are going to start every segment watching the scene from The Last of the Mohicans where the guy takes a bite out of the other guy's heart. We may not be good, but we're going to be nasty. We're going to reflect the blue-collar nature of this city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Birds with Friends on a Wednesday afternoon, 2.37 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, to be precise. Bo Wolf, Zach Berman, Marissa Dunn. Marissa, how are you? I am doing great. Excited that we have a special guest coming on the podcast today. Um, Dan Duggan, our Giants reporter, who um, I used to have a Giants pod. Unfortunately, don't anymore, but uh, love talking to Dan. So, yeah, big show. How are you guys? Big year for Dan. Doesn't have to cover a terrible team anymore. Yeah. As yeah, a partner on the beat. Good yeah. stuff. So stay tuned for that interview. That'll be at the end of the episode. Some good uh, insight and preview into uh, crowing thine enemy. And then we can talk a little bit more about that specific matchup on Friday's show. But uh, today we've got some Eagles news to talk about, some roster machinations, some thoughts on the game from last Sunday. And uh, Zach, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this pod. Look forward to every podcast, but especially the ones that are not late at night. Mm. And uh, and it's it's a big week. Yeah, but those are the best best right i mean subjective uh it's it's a what do you think uh, the listeners and one maybe, the, maybe the live commenters can uh weigh in on this where would you rank your enjoyment of the three when we do a three weekly uh you know when we do three pods in a week we go a wednesday friday sunday how do you rank those episodes how do i i would rank friday highest okay sunday second as a super wednesday. hater you rank friday highest that's interesting <laughs> Uh, I, I feel like those are substantive. We're talking about the game. It's the end of the week. It's fun. It's a it's a loose audience. Post-game, I often feel as if it's not my my best performance, right? You don't have time to prepare for it. You're you're worn out from writing, or you're thinking you haven't had a chance to process the game. It's more emotional. I like the Wednesday pod, but I actually I I think today's a really good one because we have a guest. I thought I think this is a real good day for a fourth person to join us. I think that's right. Shout out to Hacksaw. Um, Zach, you've got a, uh, you got an event tonight. You want to plug <laughs> that for the people who are live watching live? Sure. Uh, Six 30 tonight. If, if, if you're watching live or if you catch this before then I'll be at Puddler's pub in Bridgeport and I'll be there signing books. Well, uh, 
there's a lot of other things going on there. Mike Sielski is signing his book, right? Dinger signing his book. I believe uh, Leslie Van Arsdale will be there signing uh, her book that she, that, that she did with Brian Westbrook. Charlie Manuel has a clothing company. I, I, I believe that's there. Shop sports is there. Uh, and then, you know, good beer, good food and a, a, a good time. So you can get in front of your holiday shopping there. And as I've said on the, on this podcast, if you can't make it tonight, but you're interested in a signed copy with underdogs, you can DM me, you can email me, uh, show up at your house. <laughs> There's no need to show up at my house. <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be happy to sign a book for you. Or as I've done in the past, if, if you want to meet in South Philly one day, I'd be happy to, to do that as well. What's your, uh, like, what's your routine for one of these bad boys? Uh, any, any, like what goes into the prep? Uh, you got to psych yourself up. What, tell me a little bit about the, the Berman process for the in-person meetings. For the book signings. Are you gonna, yeah, for the book signings. Are you gonna have are you gonna have a helper with you? No, I, I'm I'm not gonna have help. And it's uh, I, a lot of times the other writers have help, and I tend to do these on my own. And so mm. I have, uh, yeah, I I By try the to kind of guy, like a, <laughs> no, like a true underdog. It's nice. the The real cool thing about this is you get a chance to 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 meet people. And I'm I'm also cognizant of I, I don't want to hold up the line. There have been times when I engage in conversation and then someone else is waiting. Uh, but if I can be completely honest, and I'm not being self-deprecating here, this is the truth. The best part about doing this with Ray Dittinger is Ray Dittinger is so popular. And this is no shot of Mike Sealski. Mike Sealski as well. But I've done, I've done this with uh, Ray Dittinger. It feels like a shot and he's, Sielski, but... and, he's, and, and he's so popular that there will be such a bottleneck of, of people waiting for, for, for Dittinger. And they got to uh, figure out something else to do. Yeah, and they're kind of like standing in front of you. And this is, <laughs> oh, so what's your book about? It's actually then I it's it's about the 2017 Eagles team that won the Super Bowl and it takes you behind the scenes of the people the of uh, and and the moments and uh, everything that made that team special. It brings you to Fargo, North Dakota, the Carson Wentz's hometown. Although I I, I stopped selling the Carson Wentz thing recently, mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll bring you to Malcolm Jenkins' house in East in 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 uh, in, in in Piscataway. Um, Fletcher Cox's living room in Yazoo City, and like I, I have this whole sales pitch, and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's great." And then I signed it. So, uh, so in any event, um, please, if 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 you have the time, come out. I'd be happy to, to sign a book for you. Zach Grace in the comments says that you had a longer line than Diddy last year. <laughs> I appreciate that, Grace. Now Ray is uh, Ray's the goat. So uh, yeah, Ray gets. But um, I I love going and. Thinking. When's the last time he won Sports Writer of the Year? I think he's won it four times. So. Yeah, but <laughs> so what have you done for me lately? <laughs> we did also uh, get a comment, Zach, from Ian. Would you sign his baby's head? So um, <laughs> forehead. <laughs> I, I got to tell you this, Ian. A lot of writers um, use Sharpies. I don't use a Sharpie. I use a pen. Mm. So you don't want me to sign your your baby's head. And uh, I'm lefty. And so if I use a Sharpie, it sometimes gets on my you know, on, mm. on my hand. And so uh, I use a pen instead. Uh, so I would be afraid of puncturing your, your baby skin with the, uh, with oh the my pen. God. With the pen. So no. <laughs> Have you ever signed a body part, Zach? <laughs> um, no, I, uh, no, no, I haven't. Would you sign a body part? Would I sign? Probably not. I, I, I would, I, I mean, I've written on someone's hand before. Does that count? Like I've written my phone number on someone's hand. Oh, <laughs> all right. 
All right. Not, well, tell us more. <laughs> so the Eagles, um, they, they, they did you read the, obviously you read the Andrew Luck story, the Seth Wickersham story, right? Seth was awesome. That yeah. was great. Yeah. Well, you know, he's got the, he's got the thing in there about how he, he got, um, his future wife's number by pretending that he had lost his phone and asking her to call it. But I want to know what was, is, is this how you picked up Emily? You wrote your name on her phone or on her hand? No, that is not. I, I, I wish it were that easy to pick up Emily. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, anyways, Avante Maddox, we should, we, we should get to that. But All right. Uh, let's uh... it's, it's funny by the way that, that Bo was saying, I don't know what we have to discuss on this pod. And then we're already eight minutes in and we haven't talked to Eagles yet. Well, yeah, we got to stretch out. We got to stretch out the nonsense <laughs> if there's not enough beef. Um, but, uh, in all seriousness, I, I hope to see as many of you as who can make it out tonight. And again, I'm, I'm, Puddlers I, Club. I mean this genuinely, I, I have a, um, a list of things of, of books I'm sending out next week. Uh, in time for Christmas. So if you want a copy and you're not around here, I'll be happy to do that. If you had a sports pub yourself, what would you name it? Underdogs? I, if I had a sports pub? Underdogs is actually a good one. Come yeah, to think of it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Birds what with would friends. Be, Bo? Or bar know, with yeah. friends. Gotta think yes. about it. Might be underdogs. <laughs> no, you should be the wolf pack, right? Wolf pack? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. The den? I don't know. Mm. All right. Uh, well, there have been some uh, roster moves made by the Eagles. Some reports that they might be interested in a, a certain high-profile free agent wide receiver. A lot of scuttlebutt about this 11-1 team. So we send it over to the Novacare Complex by way of somewhere in the suburbs of Philadelphia. The Stone Cold Newsman himself, Zach Berman. The Eagles placed... Robert Quinn on IR yesterday. So Robert Quinn out the next four weeks. And boy, was he really coming on. <laughs> Robert Quinn will not return in, um, until the earliest being week 18 against the New York Giants. They actually Just in time for the playoff push. Just in time for the play. Well, in time for the playoffs. Yes. Uh, they activated defensive engineers Robinson from injured reserve. They also waived Andre Sachere opening a spot. On the 53-man roster, and you might be wondering, oh, they're opening a spot on the 53-man roster. What do they have in mind? Well, the answer could be Avante Maddox because Avante Maddox, who is eligible to return this week against the New York Giants, the Eagles activated his 21-day practice window. He is at walkthrough now as we speak, although walkthrough might have wrapped up a few minutes ago, and he'll be on the practice field tomorrow. And uh, assuming he has no issue as far as covering uh, wide receivers and and no reoccurrence with the hamstring injury, you can expect him back on Sunday against the New York Giants. So that's something to watch. The Eagles also made a few practice squad transactions. Anthony Rush is a javelin Goudre and Kwan Baker were released what from the practice rush. squad. And then uh, and then today they brought back Marvin Wilson and Roderick Johnson to the practice squad. You might notice they released three. They re-signed two. My guess is Andre Sachere will get one of those uh, spots. So that is open for Sachere to potentially clear waivers and return to the practice squad. Uh, in that's that's the hard news, if you will. There is a report out there, as you mentioned, to watch out for the Eagles or, or speculation, how, however you want to term it, to watch out for the Eagles with Odell Beckham Jr. Nick Sirianni asked about that today, and he said, 
He likes his wide receivers room. It's the best wide receivers room he has ever been a part of. Uh, so take that for what you will. Sirianni didn't give much as far as the injuries. Um, the injuries being Kaiser White, Jordan Davis, and Quez Watkins. So we'll get a injury report later today to have more clarity there. Uh, back to you in the studio, Bo. Thanks, Zach. Uh, I've, a few things I want to discuss with you um, along these these news fronts. Very esoteric, in-the-weeds roster stuff. Um, what could Anthony Rush have possibly done over the three days that he was in the Novocare complex to lose his spot to Marvin Wilson, who they had already released from the practice squad? Fair question. Uh, I I don't have a good you answer. You think he for just you? showed up and was in like a, a mean to everybody? <laughs> no, like, so he was injured. Like I mean, could again, be anything. I, it's just I, funny. I don't want to speak out of turn here, um, because or I don't want to say something without knowing. And but we're we're three friends talking here. It's birds with friends, right? Uh, and I've I heard in the past when they've done this practice squad shuffling practice squad roulette however you want to frame it if there 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 might be like salary things that go into it whether it's it's you get a guy paid a certain you know if they're on the roster a certain day okay. you might be able to so i don't know if it's something about that um because there have been situations where like they've cut a guy one week and they brought him back two weeks later and they keep going back and forth right. with it. and it could be something related to that i don't know it could be related to guarantees and contracts Right. Um, I, it's kind of funny. Yeah. I think if you're on the roster at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, you're paid for the week. That yes. Thank you, Marissa. Th yeah. Thank you. That's exact. That that's exactly that's exactly what I was alluding to. So, yeah. So that if, if if you if you get them on the roster one week, you can have them paid, and then you can make it. So that's something that I had I had heard in the past. I mean, it's just I just it's just funny to me that you know you, you bring in a guy for his like nose tackle body, a guy who's been here in the past famously released for Orlando Scandrick as an undrafted rookie. I love uh, how you say famously. That's a loose <laughs> term for famous, loose, loose definition of famous. And then you replace him with a similar, like the, the guy at the same position who you had already uh, decided was expendable. Anyway. Uh, uh, Wait, but uh, oh, there was there was one other thing I didn't mention in the news, which I should have. Jalen Hurts was named NFC, uh, or there's two things I should mention. Jalen Hurts was, was named NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, the first time in Eagles history, a player has won a player of the week in back-to-back -back weeks. And the second time in the NFL that's happened this season, Josh Allen did it week five, week six. Also, I think this is worth noting, Brandon Graham was named Eagles candidate for Man of the Year, the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Uh, and uh, if if you want to check out, there is a video that the Eagles put out when they um, notified Graham. Got a little dusty. Graham. And yeah, those it videos up. are great. Oh man, yeah, it's really good. If it had been, done that. if yeah. it was like it was like fifty-five seconds long, if it had been like seventy-five seconds long, I would have fully been in tears. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think you watched the full version on YouTube. Then it's like seven minutes. Oh yeah, I'm gonna. I'll be, yeah, I'll be. Okay, pumped. yeah, and and so you see all the, all the people that that he's that he's a, he's influenced and affected throughout the years. No, I shouldn't say all the people. A group of people that he has, and it speaks to Brandon Graham. I sh that. Sometimes the and for good reason, the man of the year candidate is is someone who has a, a very public foundation or, or does very public acts of acts of good acts of goodness. 
and Brandon Graham, it seems to be more of these behind the scenes things that he's done that have really big influences on, on people. So you can check that out. It seems like a deserving candidate. He, he talked a little bit about it today. Um, and I will say, you know, we, we make fun of the hashtag even better guy stuff. Like we don't really know what these guys uh, are actually like in their personal lives. Right. But I can, I can say from having been in the building that, uh, Without question, Brandon Graham is more generous with his time than uh, almost anyone I can remember. And he's been around for so long that um, he has this lasting legacy, as they showed in that video, of all these people who, you know, were profoundly impacted by him just being generous with his time yeah. with, you know, a 10-minute interaction, a two-minute interaction, um, and being, like, very present for those moments. And uh, he, he, he deserves a lot of credit for that. Well said, we and it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good takeaway. I mean, a, a far bit for for me to give any player or coach or executive advice, but um, when you're in that role, like any interaction you have with someone is a memorable interaction for the person you're having it with. And Brandon Graham really seems to embrace that. So uh, credit to him. Yeah, good stuff there. Um, Robert Quinn. I made fun of the because the tweet when the news broke was like he's he was really coming on and just was starting to learn the defense. Meanwhile, his snaps had gone down, had declined every week, and he was doing absolutely nothing. Um, but it's also very funny that they waited until Monday to put him on IR. Like they were so unconcerned about getting him back that they didn't even bother doing it before uh, that last game, so that they could maybe get him back sooner. Um, what do you make of like how much of a loss this is right now and how much does it affect your thoughts on the trade that was made in the first place? So uh, TBD, first off, he's, he's clearly been dealing with something and I'm trying to uh, credit. I think it was Tim McManus who had something up about um, the best. <laughs> uh, he wasn't feeling right. Um, and, and when I say he Quinn, uh, he, he went to them last week. I'd have to find it. And, and I think he, he might have gotten arthroscopic surgery. Is that right? Um, so that could have been the impetus for the timing of it on Monday. But yeah, look, he's one of the best pass rushers of the past decade, and he hasn't looked like that in the past few weeks. So uh, as far as how the trade looks now, hasn't given them much during the regular season, if anything. We'll see in the postseason. It could be a situation where they have a postseason game and Quinn comes around the edge and makes a big sack. But right now, I mean, I'm I'm not going to uh, kill the trade because it would be hypocritical of me. I, I thought it was, at the time, I thought it was a good move to make. And uh, I don't think they, it's hypocritical. It's not hypocritical? Okay, yeah. No, so because then, we said at the time that, like, he has been, his production has completely dropped off a cliff. He, he has been one of the least productive per-snap pass rushers in the league this year when they made the trade, right? And so the assumption was they knew a little something that we didn't. And maybe uh, it was just because he was he was getting double teamed or he was getting extra attention from opposing defenses. We talked about this as a guy who was who was known to be available to the entire league. So it's not like the Eagles were able to swoop in with an offer like they gave what was the highest offer for a guy who had been around for a long time. Everybody else seemed to be a little bit skittish. And, you know, if no one else is willing to offer a fourth round pick, it made sense because, you know, they they uh, need they needed an extra body. But. If he if if he really is totally off the cliff, um, and part of the reason for getting him was to uh, 
allow everybody else to have a, a bit fewer snaps over the course of the second half of the season so that everybody could be fresh for the playoffs, that part has failed. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's, I think we're allowed to be critical of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I'm yeah. I'm just saying like, I, I, I can't say now like, Ooh, I saw this coming cause I didn't see this coming, but yeah, they gave a, a fourth round pick for someone who, who's done very little and is on IR now for, you know, so he'll, he'll miss at least five games because he missed his previous game and he'll miss the next four. And we don't know what it's, he's, he's going to do in the postseason. So certainly hasn't looked good. Yeah. All right. Why don't we take a little break? Come back. Let's talk a little uh, Odell Beckham. And then I want to ask you about uh, Andre Sachere. What a tease that is. Marissa. Sorry, the ad is still Logan. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you on. know what? Hold we on. thought you were the best producer there was. No, I, she I, is the best producer. It, Typically, it, we, it, we go much longer before the break. So that's, no, it's usually that's on loaded, me. But I've been having an issue with the videos today. So hold on. So, so real quick, I, I, I want to ask Bo while we're waiting. I want to ask Bo while we're waiting. What do you think it must be like to be a Washington Nationals fan right now and to see your two cornerstone players playing in the, on the Phillies? Or three cornerstones because – well, Soto's not playing on the Phillies, but you had these three guys who were at the heart of your lineup, and now one's in San Diego and the other two are in Philly. I mean, probably not great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean they, they, they uh, had like the tie for the worst record in baseball last year. I would imagine yeah. that it's not, it yeah. doesn't feel great to be a fan. Uh, great signing for the Phillies, though. Trey, uh, you know, Trey Turner, um, that's uh, he's the perfect fit. And I, I, I've, I've always been a, 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 a Walker fan, Juan Walker, even though uh, I've drafted him in fantasy too many times and mm. haven't gotten ROI. I didn't have him last year, but, uh, <laughs> but you like a former always... prospect, uh, name oh, prospect yes. shine, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm big on pedigreed players. Yes. And he's a pedigreed player. Yeah. Uh, and how do you feel about, uh, Matt Stram? Uh, that, um, um, I'm trusting Dembrowski on that one. Don't, don't, you know, I mean, I, I don't love paying relievers as it is, right? Because I, I think there's such variability with with uh, relievers, and um, so I I know that's kind of the going rate there. But I've seen reliever contracts like you know you know guys who who get paid for those innings and 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 don't do much, and then the inverse, you know, former starters who are on low contracts come in and be lights out in those roles. So don't love to pay relievers, but. Yeah, he's he's a solid player. Did you watch the MLB draft lottery last night? I was out last night. Uh, uh, right. I I did not get to watch it, but I I was. Uh, it was a very results. funny production. I watched yeah. it. It was like they were trying to hit all the beats of the NBA draft lottery, but it was done in such a like a crazy low budget way. Like it was just you know a room in the in the conference room, like where the winter meetings are, and you could like they pulled back and you could see like the top of the temporary curtains that they had. <laughs> And they're doing the and they're doing the one by one franchise, and it's not like it's like you know Pages Stoyakovich for the Kings or whoever. Like it's just like some unknown scouting director, like one by one. Um, and also, like nobody knows the prospects who are at stake here. So it was very funny that they were like trying to go beat by beat on what's been done before, but it was like at a uh, like a very funny like JV level. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. I, I I saw the results. I, I followed that. So. All right, Marissa, we good? Yes, we're good. Okay, break time. All right. Back on Birds with Friends. Bo, Zach, and Marissa. What are you laughing at, Zach? Swing and slap? I mean, come on. I was not laughing at all, matter of fact. Yeah, I was. 
I was trying to smile. They, they teach you when you're on television. I was, I was on television for a few years that when Flex, you're not, okay. that when you're not speaking to, to smile. Right. So yeah, I will <laughs> say when I was editing the ads, that did give me a little chuckle. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's a very funny line of ad copy. I think we can all admit. All right. Uh, Andre Sashray, Zach. Um, now that, you know, they got to, they got to create a spot for Avante Maddox in theory. And that's like for like in terms of, uh, positions they play, but this is a part of the same conversation we've had about, um, the organizational emphasis or de-emphasis on special teams. Andre Sashri is one of their best special teams players. Um, Zach McPherson has been very good this year. So you could argue either one of those two is the best guy on the outside, but he's a starting uh, guy in punt coverage and in punt return. I think he's out of elevations now. Um, like, is is he the guy to cut? I mean, instead of, you know, uh, Trey Sermon or I guess Covey is coming off a big game. But how do you how do you read this in terms of special teams and the way that the Eagles are moving forward? I think you've been dead on, to be frank, with your evaluation uh, or with your analysis of, of the roster, right, of how how they manage those spots. They want to use those back-of-the-roster spots for developmental players that they're afraid would be signed elsewhere. You know, former pedigree draft picks or undrafted guys that they like. You're talking Trey Sermon, Janarius Robinson, Ian Book. You're talking Josh Job, and you saw Reed Blankenship come in. I'm players. I, I, I did not think that we were ever going to see Janarius Robinson back on the active roster this year. I mean, I know obviously you thought it was just stashed. Yeah, I thought it was a stash situation. Yeah, but yeah, so maybe he'll be up but, now with Quinn Quinn out. And so that's that's the that's the way they've gone. Now, are there situations like, for instance, we saw you know Teron Jackson earlier the season where they, they cut him, he goes through waivers, he can get to your practice squad. Perhaps that's the case with a Josh Job or um, a Trey Sermon or someone like that. It seems they don't want to take that risk, and they would rather um, play the the uh, practice squad elevation shuffle game with special teams. And, you know, perhaps Christian Ellis is up again this week or someone else is up again this week. But they they would rather not use those roster spots on players they feel they can develop. I'm guessing this means that Josh Job is now ready to be to take that role and is healthy, I guess, right? One would think. He's been inactive the last several yeah. weeks. Yeah, one would think. Right. Okay. But just something I mean, you're this you're the special teams X's and O's guy. <laughs> I'm not the special teams X's and O's guy. I, I, I did ask do elevations reset if he's cut and brought back to the practice squad. I don't think so. No, now they, they, no. the, I don't the, think so either. But, but I'm also positive. the the um the limit is actually it's it's a little bit not disqualifying because it just means that it you can still waivers. bring them up. They just exactly. go through waivers. And so they could just bring them up and like keep putting them through waivers every week. Yes. Which is, seems like a tough life for Andre Sastre to live, but Especially this time of year, because there are yeah. teams that might put in a claim because their seasons are out. They want to see what someone else exactly. can do. And that would really suck if you run the top team in the right. league and then you get claimed by. You he's know. an older player, too. So it's like it's not like if he gets claimed somewhere, he's got a shot to like earn a long term role. It's like he's got to just play out the string for the Houston Texans. What are we doing? Yeah. 
True, but the the flip side is if you're claimed, you're on a 53 band roster, True. and as as we've seen, you know, I mean, as as Bo did a great job uh, detailing in the piece about about Marissa and and Michael, like that is people, you know, people work their lives to, and yeah. the difference between practice squad and 53 is 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 relevant contract wise, it's relevant status wise. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's it's relative, it's it's relevant like pension wise. You know, yeah. you need a certain amount of accrued seasons to 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 uh, be be eligible for the NFL pension. And so, if you're claimed off waivers, I think I don't know if they have to officially have you on the roster for three games, but I you're think that's given right. three game yeah. checks no matter what. I think they yeah, could so. add you to the roster and cut you, but then you're paid for three active games at least. Okay. So, and three games is, I believe, qualifies you for an accredited for, for season. season. Accredited so. or accrued, they're very yeah. weird. I don't. Now, how how is the big fella doing? How many games does he have left on IR before he uh, can be? Hopefully, this is the last game. All right. Um, yeah. So he's doing a lot better, feeling a lot better. Uh, every day, he tells me his workouts are very good. So he's very annoying to watch games with. So I hope he's back very soon. <laughs> I hope ready, so too. Is he I'm helping out at all around the team. house? You know, he has been. He has been very helpful. I will give him that. Okay. Um. He's done a few loads of laundry. Um, You're looking so. to the side like he's putting the pressure on you right now. No, he's not here right now. He's, <laughs> yeah, Wednesday's a long day. Um, no, I would be honest. Are you kidding? Yeah. So he has been he's been pretty helpful. Um, he actually cooked dinner last night. So wow, what did he make? Yeah, what did he make? Uh, he made rice, chicken, and broccoli. So all right. And like it didn't come out at breakfast time, which is normally you know he is a very slow cook. Like he'll start cooking and it'll <laughs> that meal would take him like four hours but it was done in like an hour it was very good all so, right yeah md making up. it happen yeah yeah did he set the table no he wanted oh. it he always wants to eat in front of the tv i'm like can we sit at the table <laughs> we're very bad with that especially when we get takeout or doordash sure like, let's watch a show i'm like okay yeah but we we had to sit at the multitask table last night so that's big, nice big night yeah okay well speaking of uh michael dunn one of his former teammates uh, linked to the Eagles sack and was asked about uh, Nick Sirianni. You, you talked about it. Do you think it would make any sense at all for the Eagles to add Odell Beckham? No, I don't. Neither now, do I. <laughs> look, if, if Quez Watkins was out for the year and you had a strong evaluation of Odell, perhaps, but I don't get the sense Quez Watkins is it going to be out for, for the year, number one. And number two, even if he was – I don't know if that's the route that I I would go. Um, look, I mean, I I think the world of Odell's talent. It's been a few years since he's been the player. Who, you know, since he, he's he, he's been that type of player. He was really good in the Super Bowl last year. Uh, but the Eagles have a top two that's kind of not moving. You know, you and you're going to get Goddard back potentially next week. So it it, it seems to be more of a vanity signing. If the Eagles were to do it, uh, I have yeah, I would, just, I would yeah. not like it. I mean, if if there's smoke behind the Eagles' reported interest, there's only two things that I could I could point to. Number one being that Howie calls on everybody, right? Or number two that uh, two teams that are interested in him in terms of have had visits are Giants and the Cowboys, and perhaps the Eagles want to drive that price up or something of that nature, right? They're, they're, they're trying to get in to, to put some heat on those other teams. But 
I uh, I'd be surprised if he's wearing green. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if if the Eagles actually signed him, it would be a bit of a red flag, right? Because yeah. uh, one, like they need him less, and so if the if the wide receivers starved teams in the mix aren't willing to sign him that's pretty big signal right you know there's the report that the the cowboys did their medical and, and don't think he's going to be ready to play anytime soon and it's also like it's you, you can't just keep signing these like these big names just because they're big names and they they don't need him what are they doing that would be i mean i we're, there's no reason to like get upset about it because it, it's, it seems so ridiculous but if it did happen i think i think it would be i think it'd be nuts also, in, t in terms of big names, like Linval Joseph is a big name among like <laughs> hardcore football fanatics. And Dominican Sue, he's a big name among like casual football fanatics. Odell Beckham Jr. is a big name in like pop culture, right? You know, TMZ would do something on Odell Beckham Jr., not on Linval Joseph, let's say. No disrespect to Linval, although he probably might take that as a compliment, right? Um, or he, I shouldn't say probably, who knows? But uh, Odell is. That that really throws something into the culture chemistry mix. Not to say that he takes away from it, but I mean, there's a spotlight on your team for what would it be your fourth receiver, your third receiver, right? I, I don't know if that's that's the route you want to go. Yeah, I think that's well said. All right, Zach Berm, what else we got to talk about? <laughs> I I want to know what you guys think about the Titans firing their GM. Oh yes, year. we should talk about this. Yeah. You know, we had the exact uh, uh, this this news broke when we were at a uh, coordinator press conferences yesterday, and we had the same reaction that like there's got to be something else to this story. Either you yeah. know he did something that uh, is very bad, or like this is Vrabel winning a power play, um, which I you know I think you could read between the lines has sort of been at play for a while. But for them to do it now, with so much season left to go, while well, they're in position to win the division again, it screams that like it's not just performance based. As much as I think people want to draw the line, the, the direct line from AJ Brown's performance to just just whacking him, because like it, what are the what are the chances that like it's not like John Robinson made the unilateral decision to to not pay AJ Brown, right? Like that had to have been an ownership involved decision. One would think. Now, I, I do think they mismanaged the the AJ Brown situation. We agreed on that, but that it, it would really strike me as overreaction to firing your GM because the guy you traded had a big game against you. Uh, unless you know, that's why I think there's got to be a lot more to the story. Uh, I certainly just because well, of the timing. Yeah, the timing is is very odd here, um, and so yeah, I I got to think there's a lot more. I didn't get a chance to watch Vrabel's press conference today. <clears throat> Excuse me, I know he had one. I I don't want to be like that that reporter who who demands that someone has to talk, right? But I I I do think if you fire your GM in the middle of the season, there's a degree of accountability you have to the fan base to After like, giving an extension it. in February. Yeah, so so uh I don't want to speak for Titans fans, but the Titan is it Amy Adams uh shrunk is that her name? I mean, I um, did have a beard. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, there, there should be a degree of explanation that, 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 that comes with that. So, uh, I'm hoping there's more clarity soon. But uh, I, I don't think he's done a particularly good job in the past year and a half. I, I thought he did a good job earlier on there. That said, 
they're a team that has won relatively consistently and uh it, they're in first place right now right there's it, it seems like an odd move to make at this time yeah it's i mean i i think if you were splitting up the turkeys of who's responsible for the Titans' success, you would give it overwhelmingly to Vrabel. Um, I mean, Robinson has whiffed on some early round draft picks pretty badly. He gave up like what a second and a fourth for Julio Jones. Um, he's made some bad moves, mm -hmm. but he's got some other things right. And the you know the roster itself is good and deep enough where where Vrabel's been able to uh, make chicken salad. It does feel like if if it it just it feels like this is a Vrabel. Uh, like you, did you see what just happened? Like, let get this guy out of here. Let me get a, my own guy in here. It seems like that's, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but I yeah, speculate. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought that like Vrabel was John Robinson's guy in that, you know, they had yeah. the Patriots background together, but as, as we've seen in the NFL, there's, there's a lot of dynamics behind the scenes with these things. Um, I don't know enough to say what occurred. It would really surprise me if it was simply performance related at this point in the season. I got to think there's other dynamics at play. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think we got uh, Mr. Duggan coming on in a, in a minute. So why don't we take our second break? We'll come back. We're going to talk a little New York football giants, that classy organization with Dan Duggan from the athletic stay tuned for that. And then uh, we'll get a little bit more into that matchup on Friday when we've got swooper uh, in the afternoon. Welcome back to Birds with Friends. Pleased to be joined now by our colleague at The Athletic, Dan Duggan, the man they call Hacksaw, who covers the Giants. Uh, Dan, how are you, first of all? I'm doing great. I, have I been on this before? I don't know if I have. Maybe once or twice in the past. I don't recall. I think, I think once, 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 once before. before. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Was, I think was, once last season. It was clearly memorable. Well, the yeah. Giants are so bad that <laughs> yes. it had been historically so bad. We didn't need to know too much about them, but that has changed this year. Um, and so uh, we want you to give us a little little scoop on the Brian Dable led Giants. This team coming off a uh, coming off a tie, and uh, it seems like they have they have uh, you know regressed a little bit after maybe performing uh, over their peripherals the first half of the season. But uh, still a dangerous team here. What's what's the like ten thousand foot view on on what you've seen from the Giants this season? Yeah, I mean, listen, nobody saw that six and one, seven and two star coming at all. I mean, I predicted them to win five games, so I was kind of out of that, out of that running after seven weeks. So I didn't look too good there. But I mean, you looked at it, they came in, new regime, and I've trust me, I've covered a lot of new regimes. Uh, that first year is usually rough and takes a little time to get their footing. And this they just went the complete opposite direction here, where they came firing out of the gates. Obviously, you had that win down in Tennessee when Dable went for two and really like, you know, kind of breathed some life into the franchise that desperately needed it. And then it was like they just, you know, had a decent schedule but they also had some you know at the time we didn't know the Packers were going to be bad when they beat them in London that was an impressive win at the time but then they come back uh they beat Baltimore I can't remember it was first, Baltimore was the next week I believe and that was a that was a legitimate big win and comeback win they closed it out with some big uh for some big turnovers on Lamar Jackson so like he's trying to be like what is going on here because it was you, you couldn't just dismiss the results anymore uh but then like you said they you know I think we all knew that what's sustainable the way they were playing was uh, you're just very conservatively on offense, just trying to, they, they had the saying, which was pretty good, actually, when they were in Jacksonville, they try and get teams to the deep end and then drown them. So it was kind of a little graphic, but also like it does, <laughs> it did sum up the way they played. Whereas like they just fought and hung around. They never let anyone like pull away. They, you know, they hadn't gotten blown out until recently and they just always were in the games late and somehow came up with a big play. But again, like that's tough to do week in and week out. 
and and have kind of hit a you know a little speed bump here. They went up to Seattle, uh, that kind of knocked them down a peg. And then since then, since that Seattle game, they're you know they're one three and one. The one win was against the Texans, so you know that I guess it still counts, but certainly wasn't like the most impressive performance. Uh, the tie against Washington, but otherwise, um, you know, it's been a little bit of a skid here, which again I think we all foresaw. No one thought they were going to finish, you know, thirteen and four. But now the question is, can they right the ship? Because they still are in a good position. They, they did so much work in that first half that they just need to kind of continue to fight and claw and just get to the finish line and, and you know, hopefully get to the playoffs for their sake for the first time since 2016. And now you mentioned your experience covering different coaching regimes uh, on this show. Our, our listeners know we've had some fun with Joe Judge and Pat Shermer. Uh, what makes this, this, this administration, if you will, different? Yeah, it's tough because a lot of, you know, Ben Mack in his first year was 11 and five. So everyone felt good about him. Then he came back with the slick back hair and, and you know, <laughs> it was all downhill from there. Uh, the Pat Shermer regime, there was, it was never but, really that. But it turns out he was right about Gino. He's right about a lot of things. He's right about Patrick Mahomes. He's right about a few things. So yeah, listen to him on quarterbacks, I guess. He was also right about Baker Mayfield. He didn't like him and we saw how that turned out. Um, but then Pat Shermer was not the most inspiring uh, campaign. I'm sure people from Philly, not shocked by that. And then Joe Judge, I mean, I know he was kind of mocked in Philly, but like that first year for a six and 10 season, people were flying high the way they finished. And there was that whole thing where he, you know, he blasted the way the Eagles handled <laughs> that last game, which I know how that was received elsewhere. But right. in New York, it was like, yeah, this guy, like he's, you know, he's, he's going for broke and everyone loved it. And he thought they were beating the Bucks in the playoffs, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I don't think is crazy. They, they okay. played the Bucks tough that year on Monday night. They lost by two and, uh, but that's either here or there, but then the wheels fell off. So with Dable, it's like, I was not going to fall for the trap of like the honeymoon phase again. Like, Oh, this guy is so different. It's like, cause every coach is, you know, different than the previous one. And he was way more laid back and more of a player's coach than judge. But I was like, all right, let's see what happens when the game start a little adversity strikes. And again, they come out of the gate six and one. You're like, okay, well maybe we're not going to have to experience any adversity. Um, cause I think that, I think the biggest difference in him, everyone wants to culture, all that stuff. Yeah. It's great. The difference is really the, just schematically, they are a better coach team than they have been in these past regimes. Like, defensively wink martindale i was pretty skeptical of him because you saw what happened last year in baltimore when he didn't have the personnel and so i looked at this giants roster like there's not great personnel but his just like relentless pressure is you know overwhelms some opponents and definitely is the reason why they got off that good start more than anything else but offensively again limited personnel but i think dable and mike kafka like surprise surprise upgrade from joe judge and jason garrett so they've done enough they pulled enough levers to just kind of squeeze everything out of this uh this roster and again i think that's why you're starting to see some regression because it is still a you know, deeply flawed roster with some serious limitations. And yet injuries have, have made it even worse. But Dable, I think it's really X's and O's. Yes, the culture stuff is great. We're, we're seeing a little bit more of the, the New England Brian Dable lately than the Buffalo Brian mm -hmm. Dable. He's been a little more terse with us. And you can tell it's really getting to him. Anyone who watched that Cowboys game, I mean, he like lost his mind on the touchdown that got negated by an ineligible receiver downfield. So he's not like just jolly old Brian Dable when, when times have gotten tough. So it'll be interesting to see how he weathers um, you know, these last five weeks. Well, in terms of of the X's and O's and the schematics, you know, uh, you know, good coaching, as we've talked about on the show, is like, you know, making the, you know, accentuating that your players' strengths and and uh, hiding their weaknesses, right? And so Daniel Jones, who is is you know not a perfect quarterback, obviously, um, has been having a fine year. It seems like, right? the The Giants are fifteenth overall in offensive DVOA, and I think surprisingly tenth in passing DVOA. What have they done to to help out Daniel Jones and make this offense, you know, average? <laughs> yeah, fine is like the best Daniel Jones word. Right. Like it's not like he has like, oh he's been great and really good, but he's been fine. And, and that's that's still saying something when you look at the supporting cast he has, because you know it's been a million years now they've been trying to rebuild this offensive line. 
Um, you know, Andrew Thomas is playing like at a borderline all pro level at left tackle. There's, you know, they're excited about Evan Neal at right tackle, the, you know, number seven pick this year, but he missed some time with the injury and he's kind of had some rookie struggles. The interior line is still kind of a mess. Um, so they had Saquon Barkley, who was playing like out of his mind the first five games of the year. And there's a real like cliff there where he hurt his shoulder in that Packers game in London. And he has not been the same guy since. I think it's the last five games. He's averaging 3.3 yards per carry. He was like 5.3 yards per carry to start the season. So that's been uh, something that's really limited this offense. And then, I mean, the wide receiving room is ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't it, what you weren't feeling great about it coming into the year, but at least on paper, you had Sterling Shepard, uh, Wondell Robinson, the second round pick and Kadarius Tony, of course, last year's first round pick. None of those guys are either on the roster or on the active roster because, you know, Shepard and Robinson tore their ACLs. They're done for the year. And Tony's obviously uh, his hamstrings are still acting up in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kenny Galladay revival that never happened. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's such a bare bones offense. And yet, like, that's why the point about they've squeezed everything out of it. Like they do just bootlegs and play actions and they were doing the wildcat for a stretch early in the season they'll do three running backs on the field two running backs on the field like they're just constantly just kind of throwing it's like a junk ball pitcher and they're just trying to get by and it worked for a long time you you go back and look at that bears game which i know they don't have a great defense but like they were doing like bootleg play actions it was like the bears defense it was like a magic trick for like a four-year-old they're like what is going on (laughs) like daniel jones would just turn the corner and there'd be nobody there for 20 yards and he you know he ran for a couple touchdowns that game so like that stuff is obviously strictly game plan based, but then you just kind of keep doing it. And obviously defenses are smart enough. You watch the Washington right. game, they ran those bootleg play actions and there were guys just sitting on the routes they were trying to throw. And Daniel Jones had to like, you know, put his head down and, and grind ahead for like two yards. So uh, that's going to be the challenge here. What is their counter to the counters they're starting to see now? But yeah, they early in the year, they were just like, just squeezing everything they could. You hope for a Saquon 50 yard run that, you know, they needed that type of explosive run to really get the, the offense going. Lately, they've actually thrown the ball deeper a little bit more with kind of mixed results. Darius Slayton's had a couple of big catches the last two games. I think that's something they need to do because they're just not good enough to grind out like 14 play 75-yard drives, which they did somehow early in the season. But I think it's just kind of caught up to them. It's just a really hard way to live. A few times you've mentioned the limited personnel here. We understand uh, Brandon Bean is is not Joe Shane. Joe Shane's not Brandon Bean. There's a, there's a, a timeline there. But Shane did a good job, it seemed like, with the top with those two picks in the top ten and the way he he navigated the draft process. What's what's the overall plan for the roster? What's the, the time horizon here? And what has stood out about the way he's built this team? It's interesting because like the, you know, that first offseason is the one you're like, oh, what's he gonna do? What's he gonna do? He was so hamstrung by the cap that he didn't really do anything. You know, obviously he cut James Bradbury, which uh you know, that one hurts and obviously helps uh, Philly quite a bit, but he cut Logan Ryan, he cut Blake Martinez, he got rid of a lot of guys. You know, he came in and inherited two top 10 picks, like probably the one thing you could thank Dave Gettleman for, at least he left his successor with that. And yeah, like Kayvon Thibodeau has definitely started to start to turn the corner a little bit, literally and figuratively. And then Evan Neal, again, he's a rookie left, you know, tackle. There's going to be some some rough moments there, but, I, you know, I think they feel good about him overall. Really the problem with their draft class, so many of them are on the shelf. I think they have mm-hmm. four or five who have torn their ACL. Like, it's just a crazy rate, and they had like 11 picks, but five of them are on IR. So that's been that's been brutal. Like Wendell Robinson was a guy who he missed a lot of time, came back, started to look good. And then he tears his ACL. Mm-hmm. So you have, it's been like kind of an incomplete. I think it's going to be so much more interesting what he does next off season. Mm-hmm. Cause they, he kind of just, like I said, it kind of like stood back this year yeah. and, and it was, wasn't a lot of tough decisions. It was mostly just getting rid of guys for cap reasons. Now next year, he's going to have a lot of cap space. He's also going to have some major decisions on Daniel Jones, on Saquon Barkley. Does he start extending guys like Dexter Lawrence, Xavier McKinney, Andrew Thomas, like, 
that's when we're going to find out kind of what his vision is for this roster because he kind of came in, his hands were tied. He had to hope that like Kadarius Tony and Kenny Gall and Snowing Shepard, these guys he inherited, you know, would provide something. And they're going to have to remake this wide receiver room from scratch, basically, except for Wanda Robinson next year, who will be coming back from a torn ACL, so you can't even totally rely on him. So that's what's going to be so interesting how he builds this thing going forward because I think he kind of had to just put on autopilot this year. He didn't do anything crazy, which I think was smart. He didn't like start moving contracts around to try to squeeze guys in. And I think that's the one uh, where he got probably criticized by fans. Like, couldn't you have done something to keep James Bradbury? And obviously he was like, no, he's just so disciplined. It was not going to push money into the future. Again, you can debate with that, whether or not that was the right call, but that was his plan. Next offseason, that, that can't be the plan. Again, you have to start getting aggressive. You have to start filling some of these holes. So it's going to be fascinating to see how he goes about doing that. What is well? I think we we want to get to James Bradbury in a second, but I'll save that. I'll let Zach ask that because it's his it's his boy. Um, <laughs> I, you, I'm sure you get this question all the time. Uh, but Daniel Jones, what do you think the what what do you think the the future is? Will he be the quarterback next year? Oh yeah, I, I think about that question like every day, which is a <laughs> sad state of like my life. But yeah, um, you know, coming into the year, I thought there was no chance. Like, I mean, they didn't pick up the fifth year option, which is like that's that's like saying, hey, there's right. nice knowing you. But and I thought they're gonna be bad, so it's like it's gonna be an easy decision. They're gonna have a top ten pick. He's not gonna play that well, and they can just move on. It's an easy call. But the the fun part about sports and contract years is like it was it was at least in his control for seventeen games. Whereas if they win enough games and he plays well enough, it gets a lot harder to move on. Now, the question is, we're this far in the season. I still don't know where you know, the, the the scale still have right. It really could go like completely opposite directions down these yes. these last five games, right? Because like he hasn't like been Josh Allen 2.0, which you know that was never going to happen, but that was kind of the dream when you bring Brian Dable in. So if you had done that, then all right, obviously they keep him. Like let's just say they make the playoffs and then they lose in the first round. They're picking like 22nd, 24th, whatever it'll be. That's a tough spot to go get a quarterback. Now we know Buffalo did that in, in 2018. They trade up a couple times to go get Josh Allen. Like that's not the easiest blueprint to duplicate, but is that what Joe Shane's going to try? I don't like, that's what we don't know. I will say just based on what I think of their view of Daniel Jones, I think they're going to be looking for an upgrade because again, they didn't take that fifth year option. They had three years of tape, right? didn't pick up the fifth year option. And now they've had him. And again, the way we've talked about how they've managed this offense, it's not like they have total confidence in this guy. Like, wow, this guy's way better than we thought. It's more like, let's not let him lose games. And he's done a good job of that. Don't get me wrong. Like he has been the whole turnover prone reputation is like out the window. He's like, been one of the best at not turning the ball over this year as far as especially interceptions but is that what you want to build with you're going to franchise tag you're going to give him a big contract i can't see any way they do that like is there some middle ground where they say let's do like a Jameis winston like two-year 30 million dollar contract like i guess like will jones have better options i don't know it's gonna be absolutely fascinating i just think it's crazy with this deep into the season and i have like less clarity like again i thought coming in slam right. he's not back he's done enough the team's done enough where it makes you wonder and, and is there a better replacement but yeah i still I still have no idea. I think these next five weeks are really going to tell the story. Cause it was funny at the bye week when we spoke to Joe Shane, like he was talking about, Oh, I want to bring Saquon back. I want to talk about extensions with other guys like, you know, Dexter Lawrence or Julian Love, you know, you say them by name. But Daniel Jones was like, yeah, we still got eight weeks to go. Like he wouldn't even like tip his hand at all there. Like he's going to let this whole thing play out, evaluate it in totality. And then obviously you have to measure. Okay. okay it's easy to say, let's let Daniel Jones go. But like then Tyra Taylor's your quarterback next year. Like let's figure out, uh, what the replacement options are going to be. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough call. It's going to be really interesting to see how that does shake out. Now, Bo deferred the James Bradbury question to me, and Darius Slay uh, said a few weeks ago that the question we all need to be asking is why the Giants let this guy go. Richard Sherman said he didn't understand why the Giants let this guy go. Whenever this question has come up to me, I've actually deferred people to your article or or your your collection of stories. You're reporting this offseason because you were on top of the whole Bradbury situation. Uh, but I I couldn't send uh, Darius Slay your articles from the offseason. Explain to our listeners, if you can, 
why the Giants did let Bradbury go. And I guess the the next step of that question is how couldn't they get compensation for him? Yeah, I mean, it's, those two questions dominated my offseason probably as much as, you know, the Daniel Jones topic because it was it was just a, a saga. It went on for so long. Like I said, like they cut Logan Ryan like right away before free agency, which is usually when those cap casualties happen. Uh, but the, the Bradbury one just it just dragged out and dragged out. Now, like, again, it was it was strictly a cap thing. When, when Joe Shane got hired, he said, like, his first day, I need to cut $40 million off the cap. So, like, you know, I'm not that good at math, but you could kind of keep a running tally. And it was like, I think they got, I, I, I used to know this, you know, chapter and verse, but I think it was like $12 million they got, let's just say, from uh, cutting James Bradbury. That big $12 million chunk was going to have to be a big piece of the $40 million. There was no other, like, there was no other way to get, make that type of savings. So you just knew they had to do something with him. Now, when you look at James Bradbury, the player, you think, yeah, why wouldn't you just be able to trade this guy? Like, he's a quality corner. He's still, like, you know, maybe 28, 29, not, not over the hill by any stretch, coming off a Pro Bowl year two years ago. And I think the problem was teams kind of knew what the Giants' end game was going to be, so no one was going to make a really strong offer. Like, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, to your listeners that like hearing this, like Kyle Rosen played this brilliantly, where he just waited, 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 mm-hmm. and there was multiple times where you thought they were going to have to do something with Bradbury. There was, like, soft deadlines. Like, he had a $2 million salary guarantee out of his like 13 half million dollar salary got guaranteed on the first day of the league year so you figure oh they're gonna cut him before that because otherwise they have to eat that which they ended up doing then it was like leading up to the draft you're like well teams are gonna you know want to get a cornerback here and then and then that went through the draft like oh if you missed out on a corner now you really have to get it so they end up cutting like right after the draft i think they realized like they couldn't keep playing this game of chicken no one's gonna meet their offers because what actually happened they had real trade talks with two teams it was the jets who we all thought were gonna be bad and the Texans, who we correctly uh, concluded would be bad. And those teams were smart. They had really low ball offers because the Giants don't care what the contract James Bradbury is going to go get his next stop. They just want any kind of compensation. Yeah. So those teams offered like late round picks, but they wanted to restructure Bradbury's deal, lock him in for like two years, like 16 million, I think was the figures from Houston. I think the Jets was even less. That's smart because he otherwise he had a $13 million cap at this year. That's going to be tough for anybody to fit. And so Bradbury's camp is like, wait, wait, wait. Why are we going to facilitate a trade to a bad team and take less money for it and lock in for an extra year. Cause the one thing he did with the Eagles, obviously was a one year deal. Yep. And now he's going to cash in because he bet on himself, which is the, obviously the smart thing to do in a situation. Like why lock in at a blow market rate? Cause the giants really squeezed him by holding as long as they did. If they, you know, there was, there was not going to be a robust market in, in May when teams have kind of already set their books. So that was how that shook out. The giants just couldn't make that trade happen because again, Bradbury's not going to facilitate a bad move for himself just to help out their cap situation. So that's where it came to a head where it was right after the draft. Like I said, uh, they had to pull the trigger, and they just like they had to kind of move on. They had to sign their draft picks. They had no cap space to even do that. And then, of course, I know a lot of teams were interested, uh, but Philly was a good situation. Uh, you know, I'm sure the offer was competitive, not better than others, but it was more. I think it was a really good defense. He wanted to go back and play on grass. There's a lot of factors, and obviously, he made a really good call because he's had a great year, and it's worked out really well for him and for Philly. Last one for me, Dan. What is the uh, what is the classiest thing <laughs> about the Giants organization in your in your opinion? <laughs> Well, that's that's a that's a long list, so I have to think. Um, now, my favorite example of that, though, because it, you you know that's always kind of like the air about it, but like it doesn't usually get said. And Dave Gettleman, when they assigned Kyle Rudolph to like a two-year, twelve million dollar deal off of like a abysmal season, like it was the fourth was sticking out his back in Minnesota, <laughs> and the Giants like, no, like, he was a Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, like we'll bring him in here. And, uh, but so anyway, so. They brought him in, and there was like a snafu during his physical where it was discovered he, I think he had, had a foot injury in his last year in Minnesota, and they discovered he had like a list frank, you know, which obviously we know is like a really bad injury. It needs surgery. So, Dreaded okay, mistress. Like, so, yeah, so it was like, okay, two years, 12 million. Like maybe we can work around that, those figures here. And now that the guy who's like 30-something years old who has a major <laughs> foot injury. 
and they didn't. They just left the contract <laughs> as is that they agreed upon before the physical. Again, like you can do per game bonuses, you can do incentives, right. so you can still make the guy whole if he actually produces. But so we asked Dave Gilman, like, why didn't you do that? And he said, because we're the New York Giants and we do everything in the class. And so like Kyle Rudolph had like 15 catches for 200 <laughs> yards. So that, that classy gesture was was much appreciated by him, I'm sure. And then one of Joe Shane's first orders of business, of course, was cutting Kyle Rudolph uh, when he came in because he certainly didn't want to be on the hook for like $7 million this year for a guy who, you know, has got one foot and uh, is, you know, way over the hill. That's but perfect. it was still classy. I think the real answer there is he went to Notre Dame, which which yeah. they like in the Giants building. Absolutely, um, probably to a Catholic uh, high school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something there. Uh, last one for me is is uh, obviously Bo and I are, are going to get into this game uh, on our next podcast. But from your perspective, what can the Giants do to keep this one close, or or to potentially win this game? Mm, yeah, I mean, keep, like keeping it close, like that is the one thing they've done pretty well. Um, you need to think about that Thanksgiving game day game in Dallas, everyone thought they were going to get blown out in that game. They're really shorthanded. So like the one thing that maybe they have going uh, for their favor in this game, is they're going to be healthier. Um, but everything I've been talking about is why they've been able to keep games close. Like they're not going to come out and just start slinging the ball around and probably, you know, be, I mean, it could happen, but like, I don't think Daniel Jones is going to throw three pick sixes, the type of stuff that lets games get away. They play a very tight game where it's very conservative, but I mean, just, you look at the horsepower Philly has an offense. It's a lot harder to play that their style of defense where like, so you know, blitz hurts a ton and leave, you know, corners one-on-one with these wide receivers. Like the run defense hasn't been very good. So it's, it's hard for me to figure out defensively what they can do to neutralize Philly's offense. Especially, I don't think Adoree Jackson will be back. I don't think Xavier McKinney will be back. If those guys are in the lineup, maybe you have a fighting chance. But that's the part I think is really tough. But I think offensively, they're going to have to try to just do the formula that's worked for the most part of the season, which is like pound the ball at Saquon, get Daniel Jones out of the pocket so he's not sitting duck against a good pass rush. He's going to use his legs. I'm sure he used them a lot against Washington. It is a really effective part of his game. Obviously, in Philly, uh, everyone remembers that when he gets in the open field very right. fast, maybe he doesn't always finish, but very, you know, he is dangerous when he when he gets outside the pocket. He's sneaky so, athletic, you know? Yeah, I'm still saying that four years <laughs> in. It's, it's a, he still doesn't run that label. But, no, yeah. it it's hard for me to see them winning this game. But I won't be shocked if it's like a, you know, one-score game in the fourth quarter because that's just how they play. Like, I will say, like, yeah, even going back to Dable, like, they are tough. Like they, they don't lay it like lay down ever. Like they were down 10, nothing right out of the bat against Washington. Jones had a bad fumble. You're like, Oh boy, here it comes. And then they just fight back. They actually had the lead in that game. Really probably should have won that game. So that's the one thing I'd be surprised if they just come out and lay an egg and get beat like 40 to 10. Like that's just not how they've operated this year. Uh, but I, by the same token, I'd be surprised if they come out and like control this game and win it. I think if, you know, their best case is just, you know, get, get some turnovers, get a big special teams play, whatever it is, you know, some of those types of plays you need to pull off an upset and just win something late like they were earlier in the year. I, I don't think that they're going to have uh, certainly enough firepower, like I said, to go like toe-to-toe in a shootout. But I think they'll keep it reasonably close, and, you know, maybe it's a touchdown, 10-point game. Yeah, division games are weird. It's, uh, Dable is, uh, you know, close with Sirianni, and anytime there's like a mentor-mentee uh, matchup, things can get weird. I don't know. Could could be interesting. We'll talk about it more on, uh, on the next episode. But, uh, Mr. Duggan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, – Eagles fans, if they want to, can follow you uh, on The Athletic. And, and what's your Twitter handle? I should know uh, this. Duggan 21 What's the 21 for? <laughs> it's just like my favorite number. And I, <laughs> when I signed up for Twitter like 15 years ago, like Dan Duggan was taken. So that's that's all I had. All Dropping right. threes wearing 21, I bet. There you Boston, go. Right? Yeah, my Marcus yeah. Camby from my days growing up as a UMass fan, if you really want to know. There that's you good. go. I like, I like that. that. That was the Camby versus Tim Duncan, the two big men. That's, oh, yeah. I became a Wake Forest fan. So there we go. <laughs> 
All right, Dan Duggan, thank you for uh, for spending the time and uh, giving us everything you know about the Giants. We will be back with more on Friday, but that'll do it for this episode of Birds with Friends. So for Marissa and Zach and Dan and Elijah, I'm Bo. Thank you for listening. And as always, we love you. Birds with friends. Birds with friends.